What's up, everybody, and welcome back to After Dragons. My name is Rob Sanchez, and this is episode 11 of our creator interview series. I'm joined today by Jordan Bloom, the writer of Modoc Head Games, the miniseries from Marvel, and Modoc, the TV show coming soon to Hulu. Uh, issue number three of the four issue Modoc miniseries is coming out this weekend, or this Wednesday, I should say, on February 17th. Jordan, welcome to the show, man. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Dude, it's awesome to uh, to dive into uh, this project that you've got on your plate, man. Modoc Head Games and and kind of learn a little bit about it and and see what's, uh, what's behind the scenes. Modoc has been a, a favorite of mine for a few years. Really, hands down, my favorite character in the Marvel Universe. <laughs> <laughs> well, this will shock you, but I enjoy talking about Modoc. So <laughs> yes. uh, let's dig in. Yeah, it's definitely a uh, an ideal episode on something I didn't imagine I could have uh, I could have arranged here for the podcast. So I really appreciate it. And um, man, what what is the origin story of Modoc Head Games? At least from your involvement with the project, it's it's co-written with with you and, and Patton Oswalt, with Scott Hepburn on art, uh, Carlos Lopez on the colors, and Travis Lanham with letters, but. Where did this conversation even begin to explore this potential other side of Modoc's life? Um, so Marvel was interested in us uh, doing a Modoc series, and you know, just asked us if we had any ideas. And and you know, for me, the last thing I wanted to do was do just like an adaptation of our show. Uh, you know, I I had a blast writing the show, ten episodes of writing that version of Modoc, and. Um, but we, we were really excited to play in the 616 in the Marvel Universe and write that version, which is, I think, a little different. Obviously, our show's a lot more comedic, a little more satirical. Um, but the MODOK of, of the comics can be lots of things. You know, he can be this very arch, dangerous, uh, you know, world-conquering villain uh, with, with the Avengers, or he can be... A little more comedic with like the way he is with with Gwenpool or you know even in in other media like uh the Marvel superhero squad he can be the comic relief so right, right. or love, love drunk about, like in Modoc assassin <laughs> yes yeah absolutely and I think it speaks to how great the character is that like Batman you can adapt him in in lots of different ways and that there's this kind of core to Modoc that if you get that right he can be uh, kind of stretch to to work in different formats or tones, but that kind of became the genesis of the story we wanted to tell, which was that like yeah, the we created this 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 world around Modok in our show with this this family that doesn't exist in the Marvel universe and it's a little more of a sitcom uh, than than what you're used to seeing him in the Marvel uh, universe and in the comics. So right. the idea was like trying to marry those two worlds. Like what if that suddenly he woke up and he had memories of this life he never lived where he was this dad in the suburbs with his family like that goes against everything that the the comics modoc sees himself you know he <laughs> he is this this world cover he's, he's tunnel vision he, you know he's absolutely focused on this goal um you know he sees himself as this a-list supervillain 
with with ideas of grandeur like how how could he possibly be this other thing and it's driving him insane you know to him it's like a virus in his in his core memory banks and he doesn't understand where it's coming from and he wants to get rid of it because it's distracting him it's from achieving his goals <laughs> yeah uh, you know it's 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 distracting him in you know in the middle of a of a train heist uh, to steal Star Trek, you know, uh, Monica Rappaccini is picking up on it and seeing it as a weakness she can exploit. Right, and, and right in the beginning, right in the beginning there in that issue one where uh, it's just on the opening pages really laying out that train heist while Modoc is shaking from his distractions. He's just like, oh, you know, Monica Rappaccini, depraved mad scientist, insanely jealous of my intellectual prowess. Like he's just so obviously full of himself. And, you know, she responds just almost a second later with, you know, what the hell's wrong with you, you baby-limbed imbecile? It's just a, a stark contrast from what Modoc views himself as and what the rest of the world sees with his uh, floating chair. Yeah, Modoc will take every opportunity to remind you that he's the smartest person in the room and you should <laughs> fear and respect him. And I think that's a fun, fun voice because it, it comes from, in my opinion, insecurities. I think right. he... He wants to be Doctor Doom really badly, but the rest of the Marvel Universe doesn't always see him that way. Yeah, and I think Dunce capped him a little. Yeah, and I think it's not that he is incapable of being that villain. I think that his ego gets in the way of of letting him be that villain, and he trips himself up. And I think that's the fun of the character. Is it's not that he's a joke, you know? He's I think in in that same issue in issue one, you see him you know, work his way through AIM when they're trying to take him down. Oh, yeah. He's scary. <laughs> you know, he's yeah. lethal. He, uh, you don't want to mess with him. But, you know, he's, he's working so hard to kind of project this image of who he wants to be um, that, that gets in the way. And I think what we tried to do with the series is that there's all these voices in Modoc's head, I think. And, and uh, Travis, our, our letter, did a fantastic job, I think, of giving each one their own distinct look uh, to kind of represent the different personalities of Modoc. So you have, you know, his inner monologue and the way he, he talks to Monica and other, you know, it's presenting himself as, a, he's a braggart, you know, he's presenting right. himself the way he wants to be seen. Then you have, you know, he's, got, he's a computer brain. So you have uh, that. Like his algorithm, his algorithm uh, dialogue, right, as well. Yeah, he's calculating odds and, 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 you know, it's where he kind of gives up that side of humanity and, and leans into the more computer uh, side. And then I think deep down you have this George Tarleton, the, you know, the original guy who wasn't that brilliant, who was, you know, tragically forced to become this monster. Uh, he's in there somewhere too. And I think we, we, we tried to give this voice, this, this kind of self-doubt that's that's you know buried deep within Modoc and it's coming out now and right. actually you'll see in issue three there's a payoff to it it's not just like a narrative device like oh wouldn't it be fun to play with with Modoc self that like it's a plot point too and oh, you'll kind of discover what that is and why that's driving him as well but we, we like the idea that like again there's all these different people buried in Modoc as there are these different interpretations of the character and for him to to figure out what's going on, he has to take a tour through his own history. Uh, so, you know, we're, we start with AIM, then we move on to Iron Man, Serpent Society, Gwenpool. <laughs> right. Kind know, of revisiting and, the greatest hits here. Yeah, it's kind of him <laughs> touring through his own publication history. Even seeing the Super Adaptoid in, uh, in issue two is a 
throwback here to some of the classics with Captain America issues and some of the Absolutely. some of the original Modoc stories, right? Yeah, and there's there's more super adaptoid coming your way. In oh, issue sweet. three. But sweet, uh, yeah. yeah, we thought that would be kind of a cool idea, which is to make you know the concept of there being all these interpretations of Modoc metatextual. That there's a reason for this. That he's a, a computer brain that gets destroyed, rebuilt, uh, you know, and there's different versions of him that get rebooted. And in that process, there's going to be memories that he doesn't remember or, or can make sense of. And that leads him right. kind of on his journey. I thought that was an interesting addition really in there, looking at the um, kind of the past lives or the other reboots that he's had. And as he's kind of looking at uh, a culmination of all that knowledge or just fragments of it all rather than one consistent story. It's interesting. Well, to for me, the parts. yeah, absolutely. I think that it's a, it's a cool way to get your, your character kind of motivated to, to figure out what's happening with him. But the inspiration really is Grant Morrison. I'm the biggest Grant Morrison fan in the world. Mm. I love everything that guy writes and his approach to Batman was really influential where he took all those goofy Silver Age ideas and and made them make sense with the darker, grittier, you know, stories we got in the 80s and 90s and, and just this concept of it all counts. And I think, you know, that's a fun way instead of being like, well, I just don't like that take on that character. So I'm going to ignore it ever happened. Right. It's like, no, this is, this is fascinating if you look at it <laughs> on that scale that this character lived this life and all and these insane things happen so many iterations or that if that was their entire past it's a it's such a wild life <laughs> yeah i think it's it's cool because it's like that really kind of only happens in what like comics and soap operas you know that like yeah people it's very have... much the a, a soap-esque kind of character development as well over hundreds and hundreds of issues huh yeah years and years of, of play of that one character existing and you know you have to make something interesting happen to them every month and you have different writers <laughs> coming on with their take you know, it's the, the character is going to be all over the map, but kind of in a fun way where like just own it. I think is, is, was our, was our MO on this one. Right. So this, the comic was scripted then or, or uh, mostly created after the TV show was completely written and already in development or um, yeah, did we two had, kind of go along the, alongside one another. We, we had wrapped the room uh, on the show. So all the scripts were written and we were in production when uh, nice. the, the book got pitched, um, which was fun because we were able to take elements of the show, uh, you know, characters and stuff. I think if you if you look through issue two, uh, it's it's kind of a map of a lot of Easter eggs that will be popping up on on the show. We used a lot of the same characters, right? Um, you oh, know, even uh, even some of the non family characters. Oh yeah, a lot of those uh, awesome. uh, will be popping up in the show. Um, and some other characters and, and, you know, we, Monica is a huge part of the show. So she's, you know, very much in the main antagonist, I think of the series, besides Modoc's brain. Being the <laughs> besides, other antagonist. besides his, his self. And I saw a, yeah. um, uh, a, a news piece from last week, I believe with a, an X-Men antagonist joining the, the cast here of the Modoc show, whom I will say is definitely my second favorite in the entire MCU. So you're just hitting it out of the park for me, man. I and mean, that was a Mr. Sinister confirmed to uh, be joining the show, huh? Yeah. Well, I, I, everyone temper their expectations in that. He pops up for a fun role 
He's nice. not like a, he's not like living with the Modocs. You know? <laughs> he's not renting a renting the basement room from him. Right. No, he he, he pops up, uh, you know, too with, funny. with a few other big A list villains in in a really funny episode that Patton actually wrote that kind of um, explores that Modoc's place in 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 the the world of Marvel villainy. The villain hierarchy, and, huh? Exactly. So we get to see a lot of the A-listers, you know, who, in my opinion, Mr. Sinister is. And then we get to go to the bar with no name, which is one of my all-time favorite Marvel locations. That's the <laughs> bar for all, like, the kind of blue-collar, uh, you know, career criminals who just put on the costume to rob jewelry stores and drink, you know, their, their problems away at the bar with no name. Right. Uh, he also goes there as well. And, and that was fun because he pulled from a lot of those kind of d-list you know fill up the uh, bar huh? yeah marvel handbook guys uh that i love <laughs> you know it's the place that the scourge uh in captain america shot up you know, like, right uh <laughs> these guys aren't world conquerors they're they're just dudes trying to make a living as a super villain uh so <laughs> the, they're a fun group to play with and, and you know that was kind of the fun of the show was was just visiting these these such locations. a wheelhouse to pull from yeah huh? Yeah, playing in the sandbox and, and shining a light on some of the other characters that maybe don't get as much attention. You know, like we have right. a ton of A-listers and big characters that people are going to recognize and love. But for me, you know, I think Modoc is one of them. I love the Marvel oddities, you know, the weirdos of the Marvel universe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We got to play with those as well. Uh, you know, There's you're some... like armadillos or master pandemoniums, like those kinds of characters. Some true one-offs or kind of random Bill Mantlo creations or something from the from the 70s or 80s. Yes, <laughs> I love the Bill Mantlos. And, and the Bill Mantlos and the Mark Grunewalds are, are a yeah. special place. There's a Miss Modoc, um, actually an Incredible Hulk 290. Kate Waynesborough yes. becomes Miss Modoc for a little while, and uh, it's it's one of the it's one of the greater like kind of classic Modoc appearances, I think, where he briefly I, falls in love again almost immediately. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing that's like very consistent, by the way, in Modoc's <laughs> appearances, is that he deeply wants love. Uh, for real. <laughs> yeah, in that Hulk story, even in there's like a uh, it's not uh, it's a little creepier, but in in the um, in Ms. Marvel there was a story where he like was picturing it... himself like a full body, like, like, oh. like dipping her like Fabio in like a romantic, oh, uh, wow. like kind of gesture. There Only in Modoc's mind. <laughs> yeah. And then in, in Secret Avengers, he had a thing for Maria Hill. So, um, you know, it's, it's very much a part of his character that I think he deep down wants love. And I think that's sort of what's, driving our series right is that he doesn't want to admit that that's a part of who he is he wants to see himself as just this 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 arch villain and actually he you know the guy i think really wants a family and wants yeah, a right. wife he's <laughs> got this like dichotomy of goals that are kind of working against each other huh? yeah they're at war and, that, and that's kind of what our show is about which is you know can this guy be both these things you know can right. he be this this um, can he take over the world and build this scientific utopia and and destroy his enemies and can he also be a dad and do those things work or, or do they fight each other and I think that's that's what a lot of what our our, our show is about. Speaking of being a dad, man, I saw a very cool uh, tidbit of information there from issue two that uh, one of your son's creations made it into a, a, the panel backgrounds uh, at the Criminal Tech Expo in Las Vegas. <laughs> 
God bless Scott Hepburn for indulging my my little background gag that made me uh, a very cool dad to my son. Dude, my son, that's so cool. <laughs> my son uh, has inherited a lot of my my action figures from the '90s, uh, and he's a big creature guy. Like he's much more into like Godzilla and dinosaurs and things like that than than even like you know superheroes. So he loved. It was the the alien spider slayer action figure from from the '90s Spider-Man show, nice. uh, which basically it just looks like Alien from Alien. <laughs> right. Uh, and he loved it, and and he liked Spider-Man a lot. So he was like, "This is it. I'm in, I'm reinventing this character. There's a new character. His name's Gray Scorpion. He's Spider-Man's best friend. They fight crime together. He's a good guy. Oh, nice. So he's, he's on just, the protagonist side this time around. Yeah, he's he's, he's a hero. <laughs> hero. The hero find of of 2021. And he um. Uh, so he's written comics about Gray Scorpion, and and he's just kind of claimed. Oh, that is you know, too like, cool. He, he's seven, so he's claimed him as a new character he invented. Uh, <laughs> so I, I was telling Scott this, and I was like, you know, it actually would make sense for a Spider Slayer to be there. So if you can just put him in a background gag, so he he drew him in there, and then my son got the issue, and he's like, the first appearance of Gray Scorpion, he's real. <laughs> like, so he was like running around the comic store telling them he created a character who's in a Marvel comic, and it was a, a big day for him. Oh, dude, I can only imagine. Yeah, that's a that's a such a cool Easter egg in there in the writing. Uh, how is the writing really but um, compared between the comic medium and the TV shows? I know that you've spent um, quite some time writing for TV here with the Community and American Dad. You were writing for both. Yeah, uh, I, I started on American Dad and then went to Community and then went back to American Dad for a bit and have been working on TV for for quite some time and it's. It's different in that, um, you know, it's, it, it, TV is a, a writer's driven medium because uh, you as a writer or as a, a showrunner are there kind of overseeing every step of the way and you're working with the artists and you're, you're working with the editors and, and directing the actors and stuff. And there's a little more kind of control there where I think comics are really designed as an artist medium. And, and I think your job is very different as a, as a comic writer where it's, it's, your job is to make the, the artist look good and give them things that they're excited about drawing. Like they're, they are the director, not you. Uh, and it's more about kind of making suggestions and, and letting them go off and, and make them a thousand times better than whatever you imagined. And, and Scott Hepburn is brilliant and, and such an incredible, incredibly talented artist and has been so great working with us. And, uh, you know, the collaboration has been, one of my favorite parts of this is, is Pat and I, you know, just talking with him and generating ideas and, and him kind of going off and, uh, you know, again, bringing back these, these pages that are just like a thousand times better than what we ever, you know. He's definitely churning out some excellent MODOK panels that, you know, some, some of my favorites for sure. Uh, especially when he's going all out, you know, in, in both issues, just a few times where he just loses control of himself and he's just, the the artwork is excellent. I'm I treated mean, to those splash pages of all the weaponry that Modok has encased in his floating head. <laughs> oh yeah, that's the one I'm I'm buying from him for sure. That's been the hard. Honestly, that's the hardest part of writing with comics is figuring out what page you want to buy from Scott Hepburn without <laughs> blowing to... all of your money and just buying every single one of them. Because uh, right, uh, right. they're all beautiful. They're all incredible. Um, so yeah, it's it's really been just you know, realizing that, that the job of a comic writer is, is to just kind of hopefully communicate ideas clearly enough that the artist can make it what it needs to be and, and really create the comic. It's, it's really much more on Scott's shoulders than ours. And, and I think 
you know, there's probably in TV, there's more ego attached to being a writer than I think in comics, you know, it's, it's really the, the, the ship really sails once that idea is kind of started at least, then it's the whole team taking it down. huh? Absolutely. And, and, you know, we had to kind of relearn how to tell a joke uh, in, in this medium. It's, it's very mm. different. Comedy is very hard to do in, in comics. Um, but and, with a pacing or being unable to control that actual delivery or the uh, yeah. kind of tone of the actor rather than the, just the text. Absolutely. All of that. And, and um, so you kind of have to rethink how to tell a joke. And, and hmm. we went back and looked at some, I think, uh, Steve Lieber's uh, stuff on um, Superior Foes, I think is the most, he's the most successful comedic storyteller, I think, you know, uh, when it comes to comics. And, and that was a good one of like how to pace, you know, reaction shots and things like that to really uh. bolster the joke. Um, and, you know, Kevin Maguire from Justice League, uh, you know, International, I think is is another one where like that guy's facial expressions and, and he knows how to pace a page and, and sell a joke. Like there's just these greats that you can look at. And I think Scott now is absolutely up there with those guys um, as one of them where he's, he's really selling it. And uh, so yeah, it was, it's just a different thing. And I think like I'm very aware as a comic writer or sorry, as a comic reader that there's people who kind of come in who are vaguely interested in comics and it sounds kind of fun and they pop in, they kind of do their own thing and they leave and, and it doesn't always translate. And I think I've been studying comics, you know, as a, as a craft too my whole life. And, and mm. I am that person who's read these and been like, oh, they didn't even try, you know. To, <laughs> you you, you notice some areas. And, yeah. yeah. So I think we were very conscious of that, of like, this is different. This is not the show. This is not other things we've done previously. This is its own thing. And we want to make the best Marvel comic, not, you know, the best Jordan Bloom, Pat Oswalt uh, story right not, not the or not the best uh, like companion to the tv show kind of comic that kind of thing because uh, yeah. i think it does come off as it's as a separate event but also a little bit of a lead up to that uh, uh to that show here so far it's pretty sweet how about the yeah. tandem writing with you and pat Oswalt? uh was that very collaborative or more um like high level and then splitting out the pages or kind of how does that sort of writer collaboration work yeah well we were we were lucky enough to write a few of them together in the same room or at least break the stories oh sweet so really Um, get the get the overarching story and the pacing down together yeah so we i think we you know the the big thing for us we kind of outline together where we'll say like okay this is what kind of has to happen on this page and we'll you know pitch out some dialogue and and you know i've said this before but like it's the best thing in the world where you're sitting next to modok you know himself who is now the voice (laughs) i hear in my head and you hear him pitch these lines in character you know and you're like yes that's gonna work or like or you know he'll pitch something like yes that's he's lived in modok's head for so long playing him that it's like that's exactly how modok would say that or like that's the perfect modok line yeah he's a perfect modok voice as well i will say that (laughs) i love patton and mst3k here recently so i'm really looking forward to the show he's so good as modok and i think what's going (laughs) to shock people is not just you know he's great at playing the comedic and the version and the the anger and the frustration of modok but he also humanizes him in such a way Hmm. where like people are going to care you know people are going to invest in their character and feel emotional about modok and i think that's the greatest trick of the series is you're going to like 
you know, you're gonna tear up for Modoc a few times <laughs> that you, and you'll be like, I can't believe I'm feeling this way over this floating head who mind blasts people. <laughs> um, the story but, is but, kind of a sad one. If you think that Tarleton just kind of came to work on one Tuesday afternoon and got, you know, uh, unfortunately selected from the masses and uh, you know, here he is <laughs> 50 years absolutely. later. Yeah, it's a tragedy <laughs> kind of. Uh, and, and issue four is really gonna dig into the history of MODOK and, and mm. the origins and, and you're gonna get some kind of new layers uh, that, that add to the story. So that's, that is something, Interesting. you know, we, we, we kind of tried to have each issue have its own tone. Um, so issue one to me is like, if you put MODOK as the lead in like Mission Impossible or Born Identity, you know, the idea of like casting <laughs> MODOK in an action movie as the lead, uh, that was what we were going for. Obviously two is kind of buddy comedy heist. Uh, three is is a little more, you know, when you put Gwenpool in a comic, it, it instantly becomes meta. So it's kind of investigating those ideas we were talking about of identity in comics and and uh and, and character growth and and inconsistencies and stuff uh right. with that character and then four is very much kind of the 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 or the, tr the tragic origins of modok and 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 uh what led him to become who he is so mm -hmm. we really tried to give each issue a flavor while still telling you know one big story too cool man and adding more to the modok canon i'll take it i'll take really anything that marvel will give us on that on that front there's too few modok stories out there so you guys are doing good work <laughs> yeah well even the origins have been tweaked you know i love fred uh, van lenti's um modok's 11 was was great and and yeah that definitely. one he's you know he's pulling together the whole team yeah he but even the origins and stuff like he's he's kind of volunteering and another one he's forced into it and i think you know, again, using that that Grant Morrison narrative, like he is an inconsistent narrator. You know, like hmm. he he his memories he's not quite sure of, and they they kind of appear differently throughout it. So this will be, in our mind, the definitive Modoc origin. But you know, I'm I'm happy for <laughs> another writer to come along and be like, no, that's actually not how it happened exactly. Because you know, Modoc isn't every time he's rebooted, he remembers it differently, and I think that's kind of the fun of the character. Yeah, definitely. And in, in that uh, Modox Eleven, I love the uh, the Spot character that he gets on the team. Such a oh, so such good. a mess trying to work with Spot. <laughs> well, well, Fred... trying to work with Modoc or anyone really. Yeah. <laughs> oh yes, Modoc is not easy to work with, and we and, and we have an, an episode where he kind of puts together a team in, a, in an ode to that comic. Not as many <laughs> characters, but uh, excellent. You know, he he's always trying to heist something. Um, but uh, but the other thing for that series was was Monica Rappuccini who had appeared, uh, Fred had created her previously, I think an amazing fantasy, that, that miniseries, um, her and her daughter. And she is a character that is so fun uh, to write. And we really explore her on, you know, on the series, on the TV series. And then also we were so, so happy to kind of bring her into the comics. And I think she's just the, that kind of character that you hope other people pick up and run with. Cause like, she's so much more capable than Modoc, and, yeah. and, and is so, doesn't, kind of stand for for any of his his shit and and right kind of feeds it right back to him and she's like just this ruthless uh you know competent she's i think she's what modok wishes he kind of was and drives him <laughs> yeah. crazy, but he won't ever give her the satisfaction so you know she worked perfectly in the in the show as as part of the the workplace kind of rival 
Uh, oh, nice. They, this is that sort of have... the scientist supreme that just came in good while Modoc's been working to be good for so long, or that kind of thing. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Or and then they, you know, they kind of have to team up against a common enemy. So it's really fun to pair them together. Um, but you know, just just even writing her uh, in in the comic was like such a blast. And it's and then she got to show up in the. She's really kind of the villain of the the new video game that came out, the Avengers video game. Yeah, well, I did. So. I played through that specifically for the Modoc appearance, and it was pretty great the whole way through. And yeah, she was the uh, she was a big bad herself, really. <laughs> yeah, I loved seeing those those characters get kind of uh, more play. So yeah. um, it's wild to see the wheelhouse that Marvel really has of all of these characters from the last 40, 50 years. You know, they could just pull like a D list character out and spin out so much story. It could still be hung all around it as you work it into the modern 616 or to the rest of the universe. Absolutely. And I think, I mean, I really believe that's their attitude that like we have thousands of characters and each one of them, you know, can, can hold their own story and, and if it's done time. right, you know, has right. potential. And I think that's, that's absolutely true. You know, like there's a lot of, of just these like deep cuts where you're like, Oh, that could be the next big bad of an MCU <laughs> movie and, and work uh, if, if written right. So, oh man, I'd uh, love to see Modoc as the big bad here for the, for an Avengers movie or for something on the, on the big screen there. Uh, me too. I, you know, we're, I think we're in this Modoc Renaissance with the game and there's a <laughs> toy coming out and we're getting Modoc Renaissance. And... <laughs> you heard it here first. <laughs> yeah so i would love to see their take on the character and, yeah that and marvel legends toy coming out is very sweet and they're they're coming out with the scientist supreme legends as well kind of that looks a lot like the uh forcing um yeah uh aim scientist in the in the book here yeah he was fun we pulled him from that that secret avengers uh run because it's like well who would make up the, the aim board and i love the idea that they still run everything like an organization like a company <laughs> right even and though it's I just think, madness at times <laughs> yeah we tried to get sunspot in there like on an ipad uh but uh, uh we were told that he he's he's gotten rid of his ties to aim since joining krakoa so uh, uh he's oh, no gotten rid of part. or maybe they're just more clandestine than marvel would like to acknowledge yeah <laughs> uh, i'm a i'm a huge x-men fan and that was one of the greatest thrills was working with the X office because uh, Jordan White is our editor uh, uh, and we were working with uh, Annalise uh, and, and Lauren who are also in the X office um, and uh, I, we went to to pitch the the series at New York Comic Con a, a year ago or I don't know about two years ago I'm so lost in time <laughs> it would be two years ago uh, that um, uh, we, we were in there when they were kind of ramping up uh, I think Hoxpox had just come out and oh. it was like very hard to, to kind of talk to Jordan about <laughs> Modoc while I was like eyeing all the art in the office and being like, Oh my God, they're doing that with that character. Oh man. You know? Uh, so you'll Is see it? in, in issue three, uh, he let us play a little bit with, uh, Krakoa and some, cause, uh, Gwenpool lives there now and is now a mutant. So uh, it was a dream come true to write some X-Men. Get to tie in a little bit more of that. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> awesome, man. No, I'm really looking forward to see how the, how the series wraps up and how the show really kicks off. I'm happy to see the attention on the character. Um, I have a, uh, a veiled chameleon here at the house whose name is also Modoc. Uh, <laughs> so I've got a, whole awesome. bunch of, uh, <laughs> got a whole bunch of Modoc stuff. There's still a statue I'm hunting down that's by Bowen Designs. 
uh, this epic Modoc statue that's like almost three feet tall. Um, it's, it's a great white whale for me as well. Uh, I have a, a Modoc collection, and then but, but uh, Ryan Panagos, uh, who works at Marvel, is hmm. the he's a much bigger Modoc fan even than myself has been collecting for years and he has all the, the pieces i'm missing oh, man. uh so whenever we like uh are on a zoom or something together i'm like always kind of peeking behind him <laughs> i'm like oh you have that one but he has that bowen one. Oh Very man awesome. that bowen one is so sick i found it just for a moment and it was about 500 dollars, way too expensive but then it was yeah. it was actually gone just at, you know 48 hours later so I, in hindsight i guess that was the actual price of it because it's mm -hmm. a relatively rare statue at this point but, the, yeah. the one the one piece I have that uh, he does not that I'm very proud of is I found uh, this artist online who makes statues and he had made um, like a notorious B.I.G. Modoc hybrid statue uh, <laughs> and it's incredible the mashup, the mashup you didn't know you needed <laughs> yeah and I I bought that and I bought a, a few for some people at Stupid Buddy as a present that's awesome. <laughs> Notorious Modoc. That's a uh, uh, that's the line of toys that's uh, around the corner here. Just Modocified versions of everyone. Yeah, well, well, that's our hope. Is we had uh, we've been talking to marketing with Hulu and stuff, and I think there'll be some hopefully some cool uh, apps and things coming out when the show does, where you can Modocize yourself. We'll see if if it comes to fruition. Oh, wow. I just saw a picture of that notorious Modoc. It is crazy. That's going on the list. <laughs> yeah, he's, he might have more if he hunts. I'll, I'll send you uh, after this the link to the artist. He, he, they're very reasonably priced and uh, cool. very cool additions to any Modoc collectors. Uh, collector. There's an Etsy artist printing Modoc, um, kind of more handmade Modoc statues. And uh, they look they look pretty sweet as well. We'll, we'll trade Modoc uh resources here afterwards beautiful love it <laughs> no it's um it's really interesting to see the the show spinning out man um uh, how did the 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 scripting process um uh, really work for for you and scott and for everyone did did you only put um you know a page description or do you like to put descriptions with every panel kind of what you're expecting or leave that paneling up to uh, up to the artist? Where do you fall on that when it comes to the comic medium? Well, I think because, well, actually Pat has written more comics than I have. This is my first comic because I'm such a noob. Uh, I wrote um, kind of more specific panel descriptions. Mm. Uh, and, and but you know, with, with kind of the note, if there's a better way to do this, do it. Right. You know, Optional, but here's what I imagined kind of things. Huh? Yeah. And Scott, you know, stuck to some of them and, and, branched out and did things differently in other ways. And it was, it always worked out for the better. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, as a, as a control freak showrunner, um, <laughs> it was, it was like something I, I quickly adapted to and, and enjoyed to the point where I would love to down the road, do something more of that, like Marvel style mm -hmm. where you just give like, this is kind of what has to happen on this page, you know, really you, open up, up to that. you. Right. Yeah. I think are, some are artists more... prefer that, right? And some don't. So it's really kind of mm. based around what the artist wants to do. And, you know, I'm, I'm hoping to do a lot more comic work in the future. And, you know, I think, I think every time approach it from that stance of like, well, what, how, you know, how do you like to do this, you know, as an artist and, and, and what would work best for you? 
Right, right. That's exactly what I was going to ask, man. What what do you have planned here in the future? I, I don't want to take any impetus away from the impact of Modoc Head Games because it hasn't even released on Hulu yet. Um, <laughs> and the comic is still, you know, 50% of the way through. All yeah. excellent, of course, but as we know, artists and creators are always churning something below the surface. Do you have um, things in the pipeline or are you planning to stay in the comic medium versus TV or tread that line? Uh, a little of everything. Um, awesome. I have a few... Awesome. I have a few uh, TV things that are actually adaptations of, of some comic properties yeah. uh, that I'm, I'm a big fan of. Uh, and then we have a few pitches in for different comic stuff. And we're, we even have a creator-owned thing we're kind of whipping up. So uh, the I, my goal would to always be doing comics for the rest of my life. It's the most fun I've ever had doing anything. Um, <laughs> it's it's so immediate. You know, I, I love you know making television and i love our show but it's you know we're we're, we're on like a year and a half two years of, of working on it you know to, to completion versus like being able to send a script out and then get the art you know a few weeks later is, is unbelievable and it's it's so fun to just kind of collaborate with such a small crew to build something and make something and then be able to just hold it you know a few months later in your hands it's, it's i love it so ultimately that kind of instant or closer to instant gratification versus the long haul of uh, getting the, the TV show prepped. Yeah, they're both great in different ways, but I think ideally I would love to be doing both forever and, and comics. It just kind of, I've always wanted to do comics and now that I was able to do it, it's like I don't ever want it to stop. Are there other characters in the Marvel medium that you would uh, jump to write? Uh, it sounds like the X-Men uh, would be on the list. Yeah, I love, I would love to write the X-Men but like very specifically kind of, um, you know, new mutants or, or characters mm. that are a li- aren't maybe the, the top tier ones. Um, though right. uh, the, the current team on new mutants is crushing it. So as a reader, I'd rather just yeah. read their stuff. Oh uh, man, but- the, the recent switch in new mutants with Vita Ayala and, and Rod Reyes on art is so good right now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> The art so- is just so colorful and like kaleidoscopic at times, man. I'm really digging it. Some shadow yeah, so king coming, coming in. I'm, I'm not coming for Vita's job. Uh, they're, they're, <laughs> they're crushing it. Uh, but uh, yeah, I would love to eventually play in the X universe if they would they would ever have me. But I like you know the the Too more cool. obscure characters, and you can even see in Modok Head Games three we, we dust off Skids, who's a character I love, who r- rarely pops up in in the X Men comics, and you know right, those are right. the little buried <laughs> treasures. And I think with Modoc, you know, it, we had a similar experience where it's, sometimes you want to write characters who have maybe less history so that you can put a little more of your spin on them and you don't have to kind of service mm-hmm. all the trappings. At the same time, like, you know, Cyclops is my favorite character in all fiction. So I would love to write him There's a more. certain weight that comes with writing a Cyclops-based script versus a more of a, a character that's been sidelined for some time. You can really... Uh, have that creative license a little more, or maybe yeah. you don't need to worry about paying tribute to so much from the from the past. It's interesting Absolutely. to see. Absolutely. Absolutely. But if you know, if Marvel's like, hey, do you want to write Spider-Man? I would say yes in a, in <laughs> yeah, a there's, heartbeat. You know? There's not I really think, a character you wouldn't write in Marvel. Yeah. I don't think anyone would would say that. <laughs> Fantastic Four are really big characters for me. I'm an X-Men guy, Fantastic Four guy, and and uh those are are characters i'm obsessed with and and especially the thing is a character i would love love to write so you know 
a lot of a lot of those and um you know there's a lot of dc characters i would love to get my hands on as well so um basically anything at this point <laughs> i would i think that it's fun to, to kind of throw yourself into that challenge too of like okay who is this person what is their history what's something new that hasn't been done with them and and um you know what what can i add to the mythos or 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 how do i craft the ultimate Modoc story or Monica Rappuccini or Skid story, you know. Yeah, as opposed to creator-owned licenses, you know, working on IPs is kind of like um, like our taking a writing prompts. I remember in school, you know, they would sometimes we would do like picture writing prompts or something, and it was always interesting to be like, okay, how can I take this picture and just write the weirdest story that like no one else would have thought of from this photo? And it's kind of yeah. the same thing with taking these little pieces of the IP, right? Or um, you know, taking the helm of Modoc, being able to look back at the history and saying, all right, how are we going to mix it up now, right? <laughs> well, these characters mean so much to people. And, you know, uh, even the smallest ones or, or ones like, you know, a newer one, like Gwenpool is a character that we, I was very nervous to write. You know, she's had two incredible series that like absolutely define the character. She's got this fan base that, um, adores her and is so protective of her <laughs> that even when it got announced that she was appearing in the series i had multiple <laughs> twitter accounts in the voice of gwenpool approach me and tell me not to mess up their story <laughs> in the voice um, of gwenpool that's great yeah, they tweet as gwenpool and i love that and i like really wanted to honor that but i was terrified that we would let them down they've they, so far from the they've seen the um preview art and they said we're, we're doing okay so far so oh, don't yeah, let that's... us know that La Fuente it. variant cover art is is excellent too. Oh my God, he's so talented. It, it looks like you ripped like the greatest graffiti art off of a wall, like street art, oh, and dude. you put it on a Marvel cover, and it's it's gorgeous. That's the graffiti art I need to find. I'm I'm here in Vegas, so I'm waiting for that criminal technical expo or technology expo to get started. I can start. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. The, the rocks on casino, uh, <laughs> right? A great a great tie-in. They should Marvel should build. In Vegas. I mean, that would actually be really funny if they built some kind of uh, of Roxxon. They'd have to go with Avengers based, but they do have something going on Avengers on the Strip. But I don't know what the traffic is like these days. Yeah. State of things. Be... Oh yeah, they had like an Avengers, um, like like it was like the armor, Iron Man armor movie props, right? They had like yeah, a, show, a traveling I think it's like show. a little a little museum or something like that going on. Yeah. <laughs> nice man. No, I'd say uh, um, it's definitely uh, interesting to see the road, the road ahead, man. So your first comic book, you sound really excited and sounds like you're going to be staying involved and, you know, like you were, were you working towards writing in comics or did this, is it an opportunity that kind of fell, um, that, that you've kind of stumbled upon, you know, or is it something that you set the pieces up in the dominoes for a few years? I think it was, I think I let everyone know. Uh, <laughs> very vocal about it, huh? <laughs> I'm very interested. And um, yeah, well, even when we first sold the show to Marvel, uh, I was very lucky where I was in New York. Uh, it's where I was originally from. My family was still living there. So I was there for Thanksgiving, I think. And I, I called uh, Marvel and I was like, is there any way I could tour the, the offices? And they're like, yeah, absolutely. We'll set up a tour for you. And um, it was to me like, it was like Mecca. It was like, I've been waiting my whole life to go. I remember even as a kid looking at the address and like begging my dad, like, could we just go there and see if they'll let us walk around the, 
you know, the bullpen and all that. And right. it's like, I don't think you can just walk into a private business. <laughs> so I, in my whole life, I've dreamed of, of, of seeing it. You know, I, uh, I'm like, I'm a lifelong reader. I go every Wednesday, you know, comics are, are really my first passion. So you got so the pull list going and everything, huh? Absolutely. And, and it was just a dream come true. And it was supposed to be like an hour tour. And I turned it into, I think, like three hours. Uh, and it was it was amazing because I to me, like the the editors are, are rock stars to me, you know, meeting meeting Sana and, and meeting Jordan that time. I think he was running the Deadpool office at the time. Mm. Um, you know, I just wanted to kind of geek out with them and, and talk about what they were doing and their process and, and all of that. So uh, I definitely laid it on uh, thick. Uh, and then um, it was great because it was, we were at a Comic-Con party. It was a Marvel party. And, and I ran into Sana again, who I kind of kept in touch with. And then she reintroduced me to Jordan, uh, knowing I was a big X-Men fan. And then I think that was kind of the genesis of like, hey, man, you know, uh, very interested in doing comics. And then, you know, months later, he called me up uh, and asked if Pat and I were interested in doing the Modoc comics. It was kind of you know, I, I think I was always like, just so you know, I'm always ready. If you, you know, <laughs> always willing. <laughs> if you guys are ever willing to take a, a, a you know a chance on me, uh, and and Patton had written for DC and a few other publishers, Dark Horse, right. uh, and so it was really great to to team up with him. So it wasn't, you know, all the pressure on on me being a first time writer. Uh, you know, he'd had the experience writing several comics, so it was great. You know, to just really learn and and I. Every time I've met a comic writer, I try and pick their brain, and you know, you're always kind of a student of the of the craft you're doing. So I, I treated comics the same way I treat television. It's a constant learning process, huh? Absolutely. Nice, nice man. Well, um, where can our listeners find more about you and your projects here going forward? Uh, I'm trying to get better Twitter, so it's a uh, Bloom Jordan on Twitter, and then I also post some stuff on on Instagram, the same handle, Bloom Jordan. Uh, so those are mostly the, the two places you can find me. Hey, awesome. Well, I just want to thank you again for joining the show today. We'll definitely have to have you on here again when we talk number four, or maybe here before the Hulu uh, show actually releases. I'm sure your podcast schedule is going to explode though. But uh, thank you again for joining us, Jordan. And uh, oh, thank you. As uh, always, I would love to come back. Uh, absolutely. This, is, this has been a blast. Sweet, man. Awesome. And uh, as always, folks, uh, you can find more news, reviews, and interviews on AfterDragons.com. And I am on Twitter at AfterDragons underscore. Thank you. Thank you.